streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Everybody and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham. Welcome back, welcome back. And Shotgun Spratling, who is a little distracted right now, but I'm sure he'll be distracted. <laughs> it's, it's spring for Shotgun. It's, he's a very busy man. Baseball, whatever sports he can cram into one season, that's what he does. Uh, but we have a lot to talk about, and multiple sports to talk about. Speaking of which, uh, we have to talk about USC hoops. Ryan, cover your ears. It's I don't time, know. Though. I put it in there. We could talk he about did. hoops. You're, you're a bandwagon. <laughs> they actually won. No, if they win, you know. He's not a bandwagon. He, he's just... The only time he pays attention to college basketball ever is in March because he sure. likes the NCAA tournament too. Because who doesn't like the NCAA tournament? Yes. You know, Ryan would love to be in Vegas, you know, getting to watch all the games on the big screens or whatnot, I'm sure. Very true. Yes. Yeah. So we'll talk about that. Uh, we also have to talk about USC's Pro Day. It is actually this week on Wednesday. We're actually going to have kind of a press conference blitz tomorrow on Monday. It's from basically 10 to 1, we're going to talk to all of USC's draft-eligible players and hear from Clay Helton as well. So we'll get into that and what we're expecting for Pro Day. We'll also talk about some USC football recruiting, also some high school football. Ryan, I know you went to a game. I actually went to a game. I don't know what month it is anymore. It could be August. <laughs> it could be March. Who knows? I don't know. But as always, you can call us 512-4-TUNNEL. We love hearing from you guys. Our intern, Micah, is standing by to talk to y'all. You can also tweet us, hashtag TunnelVision. I'll put your tweet up on the screen. And wherever you're watching, uh, Facebook, YouTube, and I believe Periscope. Ryan, you teased for many months that this yeah. was not going to work anymore, and here we are, end of March, and it's working. Periscope is still alive. I'm monitoring. We got like 50 people on right now, so Stay hi, strong. all the Periscopers. Hello to the They end of life it. I did, but it's still around. So until they make it go away, we're going to keep using it. So hey, whatever works. So yeah. shouts to the Parastyle, uh, Par Parastyle and Periscope crowd, both of them. How about that? Uh, so like I said, guys, we're going to talk about some USC basketball. They played yesterday. They will play again tomorrow on Monday. Uh, Shotgun, what were your takeaways? I guess overall, I know we did this analysis, but from USC's game against Drake. I mean, it, you say they played yesterday. It feels like four days ago I already know, right? now. It just yep. seems like uh, things have really slowed down as far as time-wise now. And, you know, um, everything's elongated a little bit. No, USC, they played terrific defense. You know, I wrote, a, I wrote a long story, a long-form story on their defense and what they did two years ago and what they've done since to churn everything around. And it's kind of churned the tide of this program. Obviously getting... You know, first-round draft picks like Nyeke Kongwu and Evan Mobley is a big part of it, too, and they're big parts of their defense. But we saw in that game against Drake just their defense was – 
their their size and length was just unbearable for for Drake. They couldn't get shots off. They got a lot of offensive rebounds in the game because they were taking terrible shots that were you know getting really bad you know ball bouncing way off the rim and going out. Um, so they got a number of shots, but USC held them to 19% shooting in the second half. The last 27 minutes they held them to 20% shooting because Drake got off to a good start. USC made some adjustments and then Drake had no answer. Um, so USC that's that's the main takeaway is their defense was incredible in that game and if they play defense like that they make a couple of shots and if they can make some free throws it'd be nice if they can make some free throws they could be a dangerous team in this tournament and we'll see what they can do against the kansas team next you know big blue blood opportunity um on, on monday you actually tweeted a quote from Isaiah Mobley from the press conference today, Shotgun. Mm-hmm. He kind of essentially said the same thing you just did. Yeah, he said that you know when they're playing with confidence, and that's been a, an interesting thing because at times some of their shooters have struggled to play with confidence. You know, Noah Bauman's went through a little slump. Um, you know, Ethan Anderson at times has passed up some shots. He said when they're pl- when they're all playing with confidence, he doesn't think anyone can beat them. He said that the games they have lost this season, they have been they have beaten themselves in every game. Now there may be one, maybe two exceptions in that. I think the the first, uh, uh, the second Colorado game at yeah. Colorado, I think Colorado just beat them. You know, they were a much better team that night. They just made so many shots. Um, but the other games, I think he's right. You know, there's just been things that USC hasn't done. He said if we can clean up those mistakes, those small things, we can go on a run. Now, you know, Kansas is going to put that to the test because they're going to do all the little things right. Can USC, you know, can their talent show out and can they follow suit and do all the the right the the small things correctly? I was really impressed with the fact that they had, I think, two or three turnovers in the first half against Drake, and he ended up with 9 or 10, which is a very good number. That's one of those type of categories that can really sway a game, as you saw in that Texas Abilene Christian game, where Texas had 20-something turnovers, and that's how you lose to a team that doesn't shoot well, that doesn't really do anything else really well on the offensive end, Abilene Christian, but they advance over Texas because Texas continually turned the ball over. Before we dive into the Kansas game and previewing that shotgun, I was just curious because you asked Isaiah about how, you know, getting all the pieces together for this USC team, considering they had so many uh, grad transfers and whatnot and new pieces. Uh, how, what, did it, what was his answer like and, and how does that contribute to how USC kind of defined its stride? Yeah, one of the things that he said earlier, you know, someone else asked a question. He said, you know, I'm kind of finding my role and I've kind of found it recently. And he's played really well. He's knocked down some threes for him in the Pac-12 tournament. Um, you know, he's being a defensive guy. He doesn't have to be the guy that the offense runs through. You know, he's been able to, to catch the ball on the block and work quickly instead of, you know, catching the ball on the wing and then trying to create for other people. You know, he's, he's found a, a much better niche on the offensive end recently. And he said it took a while to find that role. So I asked, you know, how much did the pandemic kind of play into that? And he said it, it definitely did because they didn't have the time in the, the spring. They didn't have the summer workouts playing together, you know, all that type of stuff that you would normally have the Drew League playing together. Those opportunities weren't there. They had a couple of opportunities. A couple of players played together in some, some you know, stuff outside of the team, but they didn't have the full roster. So with so many new pieces coming in this year, they were still learning what everyone can do. And and so I think it's taken them a little while to, to figure that out. And that's going to be key. Can everyone play their role down, down the stretch? You know, if everyone can play their role in the NCAA tournament, then they can do some special things. But, you know, if someone tries to do too much or someone can't fill that role, you know, you need Max Agbampolo to come in and be a defensive stopper. You need Ethan Anderson to be confident and knock down a three-pointer if they slouch off the defense and try to play inside. Noah Bauman, can he give you a three-pointer per game or two? You know, those type of things you need some guys to be confident and hit free throws if if
if the guards can play to the roles that they need to be, and you know, I think they've kind of figured out what all the, the forwards are going to do, then I think this is a team that can, again, do something special, but we'll see, again, what they can do against Kansas, because that's going to be a really big test for them. Yeah, what are you expecting from this Kansas team? I know that was a matchup that USC was supposed to play, but COVID got in the way, so this is kind of a COVID rematch reschedule. What are you expecting from Kansas? Yeah, Kansas comes in, and they, like USC, are a very defensive-oriented team. They have two elite perimeter defenders uh, on, on the outside, Marcus Garrett and Dewan Harris. And then they've got a big man down low, David McCormick, Cormack, who came back from COVID. He flew in on Friday. He played on Saturday against Eastern Washington. You could see he was still affected by it. He was very winded a lot of times when he was coming out of timeout or going into timeouts and you know other times when he's coming off the court. But he had a monster game. He had 22 points, I think nine rebounds for him. He's been phenomenal over the last 13, 14 games for him. He's averaging something like, um, I think, 17, 16 points a game. So it's going to be a really interesting matchup between he and Evan Mobley or he and the Mobley brothers because he's more of a true center. He wants to play on the block. He doesn't want to go out on the wing. So can he guard the Mobley brothers? And then also, can USC, you know, he's a strong dude. And Isaiah talked about how he's played with him in AAU and stuff. So he knows, you know, what he brings to the table and the fact that he has so much energy, he never kind of quits. So he'll be, you know, in the middle for them. And that's going to be a concern for USC. Can they force some outside shots, contested outside shots? Because Kansas isn't a great shooting team. Now, they made some shots against Eastern Washington, but a lot of those were wide open looks. And, you know, you had Marcus Garrett, who doesn't make three-pointers at all, made three of them in that game. So, you know, they were kind of a little bit out of their, their normal characterization this season in that game, but they will also get back uh, another forwarder, forward, Jalen. I'm slipping on his last name right now off the top of my head, but um, he will be coming back from COVID as well. He will fly in tomorrow morning and then join the team as long as he goes through and, and gets his negative test. When he arrives in Indianapolis, he will be allowed to play with them as well. He's their leading rebounder, so they're adding another piece. They are missing a wing still due to COVID, but we'll see what kind of impact it has on those two guys that are returning from COVID. You know, the one, you know, McCormack, who's been back for a game, how does he, his body respond after playing? You know, that's always a question. You know, the, the um, physicality of a game, how does your body respond the next day? Well, you know, when you're dealing with COVID, that's something that some people have had issues with. Now, it's affected a lot of people in different ways. So we'll see how he looks when he comes out. You know, USC, their first round matchup against Drake. Uh, Tank Hemphill was the leading scorer for Drake. He had missed over a month of action. He came back in the first four game, played 10 minutes. He came uh, against USC. He was only able to play in the first half and then had to sit the rest of the game because the, the he had surgery on his foot and the foot started bothering him. So USC got an advantage there. Will they get another advantage with McCormack? You know, how does his body respond uh, on, on the second game in three days? And the same thing with uh, their other forward coming back. How does his body respond from the COVID? Mm-hmm. Ryan, how are you doing? Uh, I'm okay. Now, <laughs> one of the things that you, you mentioned about the perimeter defense for Kansas, you know, the good job there. USC's against Drake was great. Like, was it 19% shooting in the second half? It looked like you had seven footers just, you know, running out to the three-point line and affecting a lot of the Drake shots. I don't think you're going to get the same kind of effect against Kansas, which maybe is not a great outside shooting team. But it just seemed to be like the USC defenders had Drake in a phone booth, even an outside. They didn't feel comfortable shooting from anywhere. If they can keep a little bit of that against Kansas, I think that would bode well for the Trojans' chances. Yeah, definitely. And you're looking at it the um, against Drake. They have a much smaller lineup. Kansas has a very similar size advantage that USC has as compared to other teams. Um, 
Now, the one thing, and, and Kansas has played really well down the stretch. They won, I think, 8 of 9 uh, coming into this game, or, or maybe it's 9 of 10 now after the, the first round win. They had a bad stretch in the middle of the season, and they played really well the last month or so. But the one team that beat them was Texas, and that was in overtime. And they, Texas blew them out earlier in the season, so they improved against Texas. But the one team to beat them was Texas, and USC is probably the most like Texas in the Big 12 just as far as their length and, and the issues that they can cause teams on the defensive end with their height and length. So I, I think it's interesting that that's the team that was able to defeat Kansas in this recent run. So we'll see if USC can do some things there. Their length will still bother teams because it's just it's very unusual to see a team outside of the point guard position whether it's Taj Edey or, uh, or Ethan Anderson, you got 6'8", Drew Peterson, 6'8", or 6'9", Max Agbant-Polo, you know, Isaiah Mobley, Chavez Goodwin, all those guys have really great length on the wings too. Um, so if USC goes to that 2-3 zone, which they did against Drake, you know, a, the Drake coach and um, Yusufu after the game both said, you know, their zone just gave us fits because they're so long. Now, Kansas has a little bit more height. They'll be able to shoot over a little bit better, but it still will cause teams issues because you don't see that very often in the regular season. Yeah. You mentioned Kansas's defense, Shotgun, earlier. How important will it be for USC to start hot? Because we've seen them start slow sometimes, and, and it seems like if they can't get it going early, then it's kind of a slow and, and tough uphill battle for the rest of the game. Well, I think if they start quick and just make a couple of shots, it just gives them that confidence. And, you know, that goes yeah. back to the Isaiah Mobley, you know, cool. statement that when we play with confidence. So if you see it, see a shot go down early, you feel a little bit better about yourself. Um, so I think especially for a guy like Tajidi, he didn't play great um, as far as scoring the ball on, on, on Saturday. He had nine points. He had a big three late in the game, but he, he was four of 11, I think, overall. Now, he had 10 assists, season high for him, and only one turnover. So that was terrific. It was great to see him affect the game without you know scoring the ball. So that's what you're looking for. If a guy starts off a little slow, can he do some other things to, to help the team out? And that's what Tajidi did in that game. But if you see him make a couple shots early, We've seen how quickly he can catch fire and put up 20 points in a, in a half. So it would be great for USC to see that. Now, both teams are playing in a new arena. You know, they're going to be playing Hinkle Fieldhouse, the, the historic venue for, for Butler. So I think it's not like you're going to have confidence from shooting in the last game because it's going to be a little bit, bit different backdrop. So that'll be something interesting to see. Can, you know, what, does one team, you know, start shooting it well early? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know people are already sick of the basketball talk. Okay, it happens. It's uscfootball.com. So, Shotgun, how far do you think this USC team can go in March Madness? I mean, I've talked with Desmond Farmer, who you know is on the staff, who was on the 2001 Elite Eight team on the Heard It On Sidelines podcast last week. Plug. He said he thinks this team can go farther than they did in 2001. He thinks they, they have the potential to go to the Final Four. I don't think they can make it to the Final Four just because Gonzaga's in the way. Um, I don't think anyone's going to beat Gonzaga. I picked them to win it in every single bracket I filled out. Um, so I don't think they can make it there, but Elite Eight, that's not out of their potential. They have the potential to do that. I think Oregon is going to give Iowa a lot of fits in the other game, and USC's already shown that they can beat Oregon, so if they faced up with them again, I think they could beat them. Um, you know, I think they, they can match up with Iowa as well, but it, it, they could have a very tough road to make it to the Final Four or to make it to that game, the Elite Eight against Gonzaga, but I think they're capable of it. It's all up to their potential. They're also capable of losing. You know, they could have lost to a 15 seed because, you know, when they don't shoot well, how do they then, you know, can their defense carry them enough? And you saw they weren't great 
through a, a portion of the second half, but then they turned it on late, and, and Isaiah Mobley had a big part of that. He scored eight points in a, in a sequence of about six or seven minutes that really helped them separate from a seven-point game to suddenly it was 15, they ended up winning by 16 against Drake. Mm -hmm. Okay, before we move on, Ryan, since you're the quote-unquote Pac-12 guru, how yeah. are, what are your thoughts on the Pac-12 doing well in March Madness? Yeah, I talked about it on the podcast of Champions today. We did a show earlier, plug there. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, all the teams advancing, which is crazy, and you're seeing all these upsets. The fact that all the Pac-12 teams have not hit any roadblocks yet. Uh, Oregon State's a, a 12, and they're actually up on number, uh, you know, the four seed Oklahoma State right now. Right. That game's up in the corner. And then four <laughs> more teams tomorrow. Oregon didn't get a chance to play because VCU is out for COVID protocol, so maybe a little, little bit of a break there. Less of a chance for an upset. If you don't have to play, you just move on. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like Shaka said, USC and Oregon could end up facing each other. But I think it's a legit shot. You know, you could get three, four. I mean, heck, Oregon State wins. You could get all five teams into the, the Sweet 16 from the Pac-12. Colorado looks like they're playing well. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a pretty neat time to be Pac-12 basketball fan, if you are. Uh, because they're just, they're, they're seem to be playing well. They're, the Pac-12 has just been down, down, down. And, you know, what was it, two years ago when the whole the whole conference was out by, like, Thursday afternoon or the first day of the tournament? This is a lot better if you can get a bunch of teams into the Sweet 16. So I think it's it's good overall. And USC obviously built uh, to make a run. They're, you know, they're a top 10 team, like Ken Palm or something, right? And, uh, you know, Evan Mobley's a lottery pick. Isaiah Mobley, if he's... If he's as efficient as he was against Drake, when he did not miss a shot for a while, like that's the kind of stuff that you can really make a run if those guys play like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the interesting thing is you say that they could potentially have five teams go to the second weekend when college football, they can't get one team into the opening weekend of the playoffs. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it it's is a smaller it's, field. <laughs> true, but it, it is vastly different. How do you it's make been, it always a negative shock? It's just it's been, what, what, like four years since they've gotten to the college football remarkable. playoff? The conference as a whole? Come on. Positivity for and, once. And a lot of people have pointed out it, it really has no effect, but – Larry Scott gets fired, basically, and suddenly uh, teams are doing well in postseason tournaments. I don't, you, know, you, you can make a correlation if you'd like to. That's not uh, equal causation, though. It, 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 it does mean money, but, though. Like, making all these teams yeah. advancing does mean money for the Pac-12, yeah, which so, is good. Which is interesting because there's USC fans going, do I really want UCLA to win? I know it's adding more money to the conference. Do what? And now UCLA, you know, after their win over BYU, has a great opportunity because they'll play a 13 seed there, so um, a 13, 14 seed. So we'll see what the Pac-12 can do. Everyone looked really good in the first round playing that that participated. Oh, we'll see what Oregon does when they come out. But like I said, I think they could give Iowa fits, and they'll be more rested. I don't know how much that'll have an effect, but um, it, it's, it's interesting just seeing the Pac-12 yeah. doing so well when they've gotten no respect at all all season. Yeah. You know, they, they barely have been able to get one team ranked, sometimes getting two, and those two teams were between 18 and 25 at all times. Yeah. But on the other side of it, if they don't get anyone in the Sweet 16, then you could say, well, they were ranked right where they needed to be. So it, it's going to come down to this round to see how much respect the Pac-12 actually deserves. You know, it looked really good in that first round. And granted, just like Ryan said, all those wins add extra money for the conference as a whole. So it's a positive in that manner. And, you know, I think there's a couple teams that can make a, you know, make serious runs to Sweet 16 Elite Eights. Does it make you reevaluate how the regular season ended for the Pac-12? I know it was pretty close. It was up and down a little bit between Oregon, UCLA, USC, uh, Colorado, kind of gave a late run do you reevaluate how tight that was maybe that was because they're all good teams I mean Andy Enfield said today that you know he thinks the Pac-12 doesn't get the respect it deserves and he said there's teams at the bottom of the conference that are much better than maybe their records show 
Now, I, I think a big portion of it that has gone overlooked is the fact that so much of the Pac-12 is in stricter areas as far as COVID local regulations, and so many of the programs got a late start compared to other programs. So then when you start and you have non-conference, and it's the first three weeks of the season, and that's it as far as non-conference games, basically, then you struggle in some of those games and people say, oh, they're no good. Well, I think the conference as a whole has continued to get better and better as the season has progressed because they got that late start. I think it just took them a little bit of time, similar to the Isaiah Mobley question. It took them a little bit of time to find their rhythm, find their roles. And I think that the Pac-12 is playing its best basketball right now as a, as a, as a whole. Uh, speaking of restrictions, just before we move on, I thought it was really interesting because you asked uh, Isaiah Mobley today about what's it like being in Indianapolis and, and playing in this kind of bubble environment. And he basically said, you know, it's kind of boring. He was like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, if you didn't have to do it, I wouldn't do it. So I thought that was an interesting peek into how unique this situation is this year. Yeah. I mean, they, they don't really have much opportunity to go outside. You know, the hotel is connected to the convention center where they practice. They walk through the skywalks basically that are enclosed. So they don't really go outside much at all. There is one, there's a minor league baseball field that is available for teams to use, but I don't know if USC has been over there. They've tried to break some stuff up, talked about it a little bit in the war room, just some of the different things the coaching staff and the administration have done because they have been gone since last Wednesday. So they've been gone for over 10 days now or, you know, closing in, I think it's what, 11, 12 days now? Almost a week, almost two weeks. I mean, Their hope is to be gone for a full month, basically. Because they will not leave Indianapolis until their run is over. So if they make it this week 16, it's another week. If they made it to the Final Four, that'd be another week. So they would love to, you know, I think it would be like 27 or 28 days living in a hotel, first in Vegas and now in Indianapolis. You know, it's not ideal as far as what they can do. Uh, I think it's interesting the NCAA is going to do some different things for teams that advance past the opening weekend, you know, zoo trips and different things to try to break up the monotony. But it is interesting. You're just sitting in a hotel, and he said, Isaiah did say, you know, we get to watch some basketball, and it's been really fun to watch all the games and stuff. But he said, but yeah, it's it's pretty much boring. You're just sitting around your hotel because they're they're basically not allowed to leave the hotel area on their own. Yeah, so. and they have their own floor as a team. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. When we first talked to Andy Enfield, once they got into Indianapolis, he was like, this is the first time I'm seeing daylight in two days. So <laughs> it seems like a very intense process on that front. All righty. Basketball talk is over, so everyone take a deep breath. It'll be okay, especially you, Ryan. Uh, but be sure if you have any basketball questions, put them in the comments. We'll be sure to answer them. Uh, so Pro Day, USC's Pro Day, it's, they're actually going to have people from both the 2020 season and the 2019 season. So I'm going to run down who's going to be there. Obviously, Talano Hufunga, Amon Ross St. Brown, Tyler Vons, uh, AVT, Elijah Vera Tucker, Marlon Tui-Polotu, J. Tufele, Elijah Griffin, and then also participating will be John Houston Jr., Dominic Davis, and Matt Hokum. So... Uh, uh, some some people, some familiar names. And then tomorrow we're going to talk to uh, the 2020 uh, guys that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and it'll be like a Zoom press conference. The most interesting, I'm most intrigued to talk to J2 Fele because he's the guy who opted out. And he got to see the team do what it did uh, while he was not participating. So I'm very curious what he has to say. But guys, any thoughts on Pro Day? Yeah, I want to hear from J2 Fele. The other guys we got to talk to, obviously, during the yeah. season and kind of hear more from them. He was sort of like, he opted out at those times where you weren't really sure what was going to happen. Was yeah. there going to be a season? Well, there ended up being a season. Would he have liked to come back and kind of help his stock? His teammate, Marlon Tuipolotu, certainly helped his stock uh, by playing. And just being out of sight, out of mind for that long, is that impacted Jay Tufele a lot. Uh, so, yeah, but all this stuff, all, you know, hearing from all these guys, 
Uh, I know last week you guys talked about with Chris Trevino some of the grades that were out there from NFL.com, and uh, you know guys like Tyler Vaughn's maybe didn't get the you know didn't get graded at all. Your like, boy, my boy wasn't great. You know, so just kind of get their thoughts on that, and then you know what they expect to do. We're getting reports from some of the other schools that have been doing these pro days. They're, you know they're trying to make it as uniform as possible because they're not having the combine in person with all that stuff. So. You know, it might be a little different than what we've seen before. There's also going to be a lot less uh, media access. Usually we would all be out there kind of watching everything that was going on. Obviously, that's changing uh, this year. So I'm just kind of curious to see what they do. But there's a bunch of guys in there. But, you know, all those guys that uh, you know, Keely mentioned from the 2020 team, um, I think they all have the potential to be drafted. So it'll be interesting to see, like, where they all, how they all do on the pro day and then where they end up in the draft, obviously. Shotgun, any thoughts? Something I'm really curious about is USC's 40 times at pro day have been notoriously slow compared to their combine times. Um, and, and it's partly just the surface they're running on, those type of things. Um, but a lot of the times have been look like they're jacked up. Um, you know, the, everyone just seems to be running faster than you would expect at a combine, which is what you normally normally happens at pro days. So I'm curious to see how USC's 40 times will stack up compared to some of the other schools where guys are running 4-2-2s and 4-2-1s and stuff and linebackers are running 4-3-8s. You know, so numbers that you go, mm, maybe, yeah. but eh. <laughs> an actual combine setting. At the, at the combine, where the timing is, you know, standard, then maybe it'll be a little bit different. Yeah, maybe it's 40 yards and not 39 or whatever <laughs> yeah. they have it, you know. Sure. <laughs> well, in that sense, how important is Pro Day now that you're not going to have a traditional combine? I mean, how important is it for these guys to really show out? This is your, kind of your one shot. You know, there's tape is great, right? So you sure. want to think productivity. You're a guy like I'm on Ross St. Brown. you got a lot of tape out there. What if he doesn't run the fastest 40 time? What if it, whatever, some of the drills aren't the best, but they've seen his tape and they can see, see his production. But if you're a guy that doesn't have that, there's more of the upside thing, which the NFL loves. They want to see the upside. So, oh, that guy jumped 40 inches or he ran the shuttle in four, two, whatever, you know, when you do that kind of stuff, I think it's one of those things they mark it down and you might get a little extra look from some of these teams or some of the scouts. There might be a certain scout that loves a particular drill and a time and is like, hey, these guys can't miss. If he, if he runs this time and this drill, it's a can't miss thing. It's like every team has their own kind of style, but they, they've had the combine to do it year, 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 you know, year in, year out, every year, and a, a, a template to compare everybody to. Now you don't have that. So if you could do anything to stand out and show out, I think it will help because the scouts and their normal process of what they'd be doing at the combine, they can't do it anymore. You, you always take the, the pro day stuff with a grain of salt because it's not going to be apples to apples across the board. Um, so I think that everything you can do to kind of show out a little bit, it might not be a tenth of a second here or whatever that, it, that matters, but just something you pop. If it's a drill, whatever it is, stand out a little bit and show someone, hey, man, this kid can play and get somebody's attention. All it takes is one team. If you're on the border of being drafted, one team likes you and they take you in a late round situation. That's exactly what you want to get out of this. Mm -hmm. I think Shotgun. the biggest thing is to not stand out in a negative way, much <laughs> sure. more than standing out in a positive way. Because like you said, I think scouts will look at it and be like, eh, is that a true number? Whereas, you know, if you go to the combine and you run, you know, the five, two or whatever that Damian Mama ran, you know, the people will start going X out, X out. You know, that's not a, you know, there's certain stats that we, we have to have before we're going to consider someone and they just mark your name off. So I think it's more important to stay away from really bad 
stats than it is to you know gain a really good one. So um, I, I think that's going to be something interesting. And with the fact that some of the the numbers do come out slow, then you know does that change the perception of the scouts? Uh, you know I think it'd be very interesting just to talk to a, a scout, particularly about how they're evaluating based off of the fact that there is no combine. I think it obviously I think their evaluations change a lot because of that. Because like you said, they don't have that baseline to say, okay, this is what we expect out of cornerbacks. We expect this speed. Where does Elijah Griffin compare to that speed? Now it's like, okay, well, we're seeing this as far as the cornerbacks across the nation, you know, and that's kind of, you know, there's no straight baseline. So I think that's going to be what's a little bit different about the evaluation process. Sometimes in previous years, we've seen guys who've kind of been like the, the combine body changer, if you will. Nico Falla is mm -hmm. the guy that automatically comes into my mind when I mention that guy. Do you think there will be a guy this year who you're like, oh, okay, he did some training offseason? <laughs> huh. I, th I think we saw that more with like the Ivan Lewis Sure. world then i think aaron osmus was about the kind of bulking it like guys looked a little bit better maybe uh but they were doing a lot of the you know the, the squats and the bench presses and things like that so i don't know I w maybe not co completely physically looking different than what we saw i think it was a kind of a perfect situation a couple of years ago guys just didn't seem to be as physically developed for whatever reason and then a guy like nico fala just looked you know i think chris chris hawkins did too right he like he bulked up or whatever. He's like, whoa, that, he looks a lot different. <laughs> Shotgun? I, I think that you'll look at um, Jay Tefele and Marlon Tupelotu and see some differences. Um, I, I think there's just a difference when you're just training versus when you need to be putting, keeping on weight because you're, you know, that, the physicality of it. Um, so you can trim away some of the, the excess weight. You know, sometimes you have to, if you're a lineman, you have to have some extra body weight just to take on the, absorb the abuse that your body takes on a rep by rep basis when you're in pads. Whereas when you have three months or in Jay Tefele's case, you know, you have what, nine months now or, you know, almost a year that he can be training just solely on reworking his body and doing drills and stuff yeah. like that. I think you see a difference. And seeing some of the social media posts, he does look a little bit different um, from maybe before the pandemic hit. Yeah, I'm curious because it's probably the longest time he's gone without playing football. So what does his body look like now? I'm very intrigued about that. Um, Shotgun, did you have anyone you're, you're excited to talk to you tomorrow as far as pro day guys interviews? I mean, you guys talked about you know talking to Jay Tefele and seeing where he's at. Um, I, I'm curious to see Marlon Tupelotu, what he's worked on, and you know what what he thinks he can show in pro day, or what he thinks he did show after after pro day. Um, I, I think there's some interesting cases there. I'm actually interested in John Houston. You know, see if you yep. know what if he looks different. If he's trying to do something different, trying to play a different position, um, you know, when you, I didn't know that they were going to have some of the older guys uh, coming back to participate. So that one kind of caught my eye as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to some spring ball. We did get the, the calendar, a loose idea of what spring camp is going to look like. 15 practices. A spring game is what they're calling it on the 17th. Originally, it was going to be on the 24th, but it got moved to the 17th. So kind of smack dab in the middle. I know you love that shotgun. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so dumb. Okay. Shotgun had his moment explaining why it's dumb. Ryan, I guess you're in team. It's dumb too. I'm definitely in team. It's dumb. You want it to be the end. Like it's like spring football is weird anyway, right? You get these sure. 15 practices. If you have the game, like that's really the final outcome. You know, it's sort of like you have your Super Bowl and then like we're going to do the AFC championship game afterwards. Like, no, there's like the you're going to build up to a spring game. It's the end of it all. You get to see the defense. You get to see the offense. They don't play together. 
we all the drills we worked on, all the stuff we did, all the young players that got a chance to get in there, the, the early enrollees, everyone gets their chance, and you get to show out in the game at the very end. I don't want to see the game in the middle and then be like, well, next week we're going to work on, uh, you know, cover two. Like, no, just work on everything you need to and then have the game at the end. Like, don't have the game in the middle. I could understand, actually, um, I don't know exactly why they're doing it, if it's because of TV or whatnot, but I could understand wanting to have something in the middle like that if last year when they were bringing in a new defense you know okay we need to assess where we're at and what we need to actually work on but that's what scrimmages are for so i i think i agree with ryan that you you build up to that game and that should be the end all now it's different anyways because there's not gonna be any fans that are like gonna be allowed to come regardless uh, at least that's what it seems to be so you know how much is it is a game different than a scrimmage? I don't know, but yeah. you you want to have scrimmages leading up, and then that be the thing where you put on the actual jerseys, you you know you put the stickers on the helmet, and you, you get an actual you know feel for you know playing in the Coliseum. Okay, my argument though, maybe not for the seventeenth, but for the twenty fourth, you would have like a, a quote unquote game, and then you have a week to wrinkle to iron out any of the wrinkles. It it makes sense. It could. I disagree. <laughs> okay. Yeah, not not a fan. But, okay. Uh, whatever. But like Shotgun said, if if no one's going to be there necessarily, does it really matter if they're doing scrimmages? I mean, are they even calling it a spring game or is it, it a spring showcase? On the showcase? graphic, it says spring game. Spring game. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a positive for me. <laughs> so actually, if they move towards an actual game, not a showcase or whatever yeah. they're saying. The showcase before. was just a glorified practice. See, it maybe, was just a practice with cameras there. That was it. Maybe you guys have such a strong opinion because I think I've only covered from the showcase era. I don't think I ever saw real Trojan uh, spring game football. So maybe that's why I have a different. Yeah, it used to be here. the Trojan huddle. Mm -hmm. There was sure. like ten bucks to get in. There was In and Out Burger there. Ooh. Like it was a. Was there was autograph signings at the end. There was like bouncy castles for the kids to play in at the end zone. Sure, yeah. Um, so they've done different things, and which is great. Unfortunate again, a lot of things are unfortunate during this this year of COVID. But it's unfortunate because that builds up the fan base, you know, with the the younger kids and whatnot, and you know that locks them into being Trojans for life is, you know, if they're you remember when they got Matt Barkley's signature when they were six years old or whatever it was. Sure. Um, so you, you, you miss out on that opportunity. So I think getting back to the Coliseum when they can would be a positive. Now, one potential positive of the spring game, um, and if they have a full game, is just, you know, getting to see, uh, you, you know, what they can do with full contact, full refs and everything versus a showcase. You know, instead of practice, let's have the competition. And this year what would be different is that you're not going to have 30 guys out. At least you shouldn't have 30 guys out with injuries, which is a lot of times the case. You have guys that have minor surgeries and stuff in the offseason. They're not available going into the spring. So maybe you see, you know, kind of a balls-to-the-wall approach in a real game that would be great to see, and I think that's something this program would need, you know, just to continue pushing themselves toward being that physical team, being a team that is going to be going hard at all times rather than taking a lot of practices off and whatnot. Well, I'm just curious what 
this second round of COVID practices will be like, if you will, because the first time they were kind of figuring it out as they went. They got the okay to to play football late in the season and then they had to install Todd Orlando's defense. What's it going to be like when they know what the COVID protocols are? They know what COVID practice is going to be like. Will that growth be much easier to obtain because you know the kind of hurdles you have to deal with? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, just we're, we're seeing society evolve. I mean, here in Southern California and in California in general, Typically more of a lockdown than a lot of places in the country, but we just went to a red a red tier, so new things have opened up. Are there going to be new opportunities? Do they not have to lift weights outside or the, the barbells won't be burning their hands from the sun? Things like that. Hopefully, like, okay, uh, can people eventually come and, and watch some practice again? Will the media be able to be there in person a lot more? I mean, so that kind of stuff is, is interesting. As we open up a little bit more, I don't know, maybe that we'll see protocols be a little bit different than what we saw in the fall where things were really restrictive. Yeah, a couple of the places where I cover college baseball have started to allow media when they didn't allow them at the beginning of the season. So that's just a month change. Um, so I, I think we're moving in the right direction. And hopefully, again, everything with the virus continues to progress in a, in a positive manner for the nation, for the world. Um, so if everybody can get their vaccines, it'd be great. Uh, so that we can all just kind of get back to normal. That'd be that'd be fun, you know, nice. going to games and stuff normal? with fans. What's normal? Hey, uh, USC is having in-person uh, commencement. So there's a yeah. more sign towards normal. I, I will say it was a little weird being at the Pac-12 basketball tournament where it was just family and friends, so it was a very small amount of people, but there were people, and there were people yelling lots of things. It, you know, I was talking with uh, uh, Brian Rothmiller, who, who formerly shot some photos for USCfootball.com. We were talking about it. it sounded like a high school game very much because, uh, you know, the, the flagrant foul that was called on um, Chavez Goodwin for elbowing McKinley Wright, there were fans from from the stands from Colorado's side yelling, kick his ass out, kick his ass out. And like, you just don't normally hear that in, in the din of a normal normal stadium that's full. Uh, I mentioned it today, I was at UCLA for a baseball game and just hearing the dugouts yelling back and forth at each other. It's fun. It's one of the few positive things of all the COVID restrictions. Yeah, that was like an Arizona. They, that was the one state that actually allowed family to go mm-hmm. see uh, the game. And that's you could tell where the pockets of which players were sitting because like a certain <laughs> like crowd would cheer. It was cute. So new things because of COVID. Yeah, just was, at the high school game, I went to the St. John Bosco yeah. Sierra Canyon game. And there were still a bunch. I mean, there's a bunch of people on the stand still, but it was, you know, it's more spread out. You can hear that certain, usually on a high school game, there's that one parent or two parents or maybe 10 parents that are like extremely loud and you can hear uh, quite a bit, but you would hear more of that. You'd hear specific players, that player's holding, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, it's, it's you know, no fans is one thing, then like some fans is a little bit different than like all of the fans, you know? So much different experience. <laughs> so, okay, I went to Sierra Canyon on Friday and the, the it's kind of like in a ditch. So you, the parents were standing like outside by the fence above seeing down into the field and one of the parents brought a bullhorn and, <laughs> and was just yelling everything uh, and yelling at the refs and the crazy part is that because everyone has masks on it was a female voice and I was one of the few females there the refs initially thought that I was heckling them and I was like no 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 I'm it's, filming I'm, yeah. not, I'm filming I don't have a bullhorn so that was a little was an odd experience yeah. for sure there but. was a loud Sierra Canyon parent too he was yelling out different like 
offensive linemen from Bosco that were holding every time, and you could hear them very clearly, like yeah. that sixty-five. He's holding, but yeah. it, was, it was a male voice. It was a different different parent that was very into yeah. it. It was a very interesting experience, that's for sure. But <laughs> nice to see games from the sidelines for the first time since twenty nineteen. So I was very excited. That was cool. Yes. How was Bosco, by the way, Ryan? It was it was normal for you? Yeah, I mean, it was. It's been about a year. I'm going through my video stuff, and uh, we had covered. I forget what it was. Some kind of event, like in. You know, mid March or whatever, like before it was Under Armour. the, the yeah, Under Armour yeah. yeah, camp, and I was like, "Oh, the last time I shot a high school prospect was there." Well, I actually went. I shot like Miller Moss at a private workout over the, uh, <laughs> like over the summer or something. But yeah, so for you know, we're seeing a bunch of players at once. It's been about a year for that. I was like, "Oh, but it didn't." I know. I heard you guys. You know, Chris was at the same game too. Um, we got to see Petros Papadakis and uh, Greg Biggins. They were doing the game for Fox Sports West. So seeing them in their suits, like you know, TV timeouts, like. It just felt like, wow, this feels kind of normal. But it was March, and it was Saturday night, so it was, everything was kind of <laughs> yeah. weird. It wasn't even a Friday game. <laughs> uh, but, you know, checking out some of the prospects. And, you know, I put up some clips of uh, Ernest Green, who's the top-rated offensive lineman for the class of 2022, according to 24-7 Sports. So he's a USC target, and the Trojans are in the, the top 10. So he's like, yeah, just going through clips of high school players again, seeing, you know, seeing stuff. Yeah, it felt normal, but it was like, yeah, I haven't done this in like a year, so it's right? a little bit weird. Yeah, normal but weird. It was, it yeah. was nice in that sense. All right, let's jump into questions. Our intern Micah is so lonely on the call line. If you want to call and chat with him and, and talk to us, five one two four tunnel. Be sure to do that. Uh, but let's go do a first question from Jasper Smith. He says, "Can the Pac-12 football perform like Pac-12 basketball in the postseason?" So he he kind of had the same thought process as you, Shogun. I mean, they got to get to the playoff first to, to be a part of that portion of it. Um, but you want to see teams surprised, too. And I don't think we've seen a bunch of that from the Pac-12 in the past. You know, the, the teams are kind of in the middle. You go, oh, wow, surprised that so-and-so beat Auburn or whatever it is. You know, you, you play the, you know, when the Las Vegas Bowl comes, I'm really excited to see the Pac-12 play against some SEC teams um, in, in that game. Like Oregon State right now is up 15 points on Oklahoma State. So, Look at uh, that. You know, so those are the type of things that you want to see in the postseason. So I think that's something, you know, there's a lot of things that the Pac-12 needs to do better uh, with a new commissioner. Um, and, and playing in the postseason is one of them. They, they have to produce when they get into the postseason. And I would say the equivalent for football, to, I mean, very different. But it's sort of like this, the postseason run, if it keeps going on for the Pac-12, at least making a name and, you know, making a few teams of the Sweet 16. It's more about the preseason for college football. You need to go out and win those out-of-conference games early then it sets you up for the rest of your conference season. The problem with the Pac-12 has been there's been a bunch of marquee games early in the season when all of your best teams lose those marquee games when USC gets blown out by Alabama or you know Oregon gets beat by Auburn and you think Oregon or USC or whoever that's the best team in the conference and they've already lost to an SEC team or whatever. It just discounts the entire conference. So I think you got to go out early and win those out-of-conference games. 2020 would have been a nice opportunity uh, for the Pac-12. Yeah, did USC have a great chance against Alabama? Probably not. But you had, you know, Michigan was going to Washington. Ohio State was going to Oregon. They're going to have those games on the road. Uh, but there's some really big games. I think the second weekend, September 11th, is huge uh, for the Pac-12. But that's where you got to make your name for yourself is early in the season in football. You win some of those out-of-conference games. Then they take your conference, your conference schedule uh, with a lot more weight than if you go out and lose all those games, then they say your conference schedule doesn't really matter. And if Oregon or USC or Washington or somebody goes undefeated and goes on a run, they're like, yeah, but they lost to this team early in the season, so it doesn't really mean anything. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point. And unlike basketball, where you can then prove yourself in the postseason, you can't do that in, yeah. in college football. Speaking of basketball postseason, uh, Michael on YouTube said, has COVID and a stop on non-conference play made it an unusually hard year for the committee to seed the tournament or are there fundamental reasons the seeding seems skewed? No, I think that definitely it made it that much more difficult because one, there's less non-conference games. Again, like I talked about, I think the Pac-12 in particular got better as the season progressed because, you know, they were so late to start, similar in football. You know, they were late to start compared to the rest of the team. So then you're wondering, you know, how good they actually are when they don't play well early. Um, so then the RPI metric is, or the net metric for basketball is thrown off a little bit. Um, so I, I think that that definitely played into it with the seedings and stuff. You're seeing that the seedings aren't great just because there is a winner of every seed from 1 through 15, which is kind of an indictment on the on the selection committee that they didn't really rank the teams correctly. I mean, Loyola Chicago being an 8 seed and just, you know, trouncing Illinois, that tells you they probably should have been much higher. So there's a couple other teams that, that kind of fit that bill as well. But I think it was a very difficult year to try to figure out the seeding and figure out the tournament bracket. Yeah, that makes sense. A fat bang on YouTube says, does Sam Darnold stay or request a trade? I don't know if he's going to request a trade. I mean, I haven't followed that too closely, but there's the draft is going to be big. There's a lot of teams that need quarterbacks. Um, you know, there was quarterbacks that could have moved, you know, the Deshaun Watsons of the world and all that. Uh, you know, curious to see what ends up happening, happening with Sam Darnold. I think it's more of a Jets decision than a Sam Darnold decision. How would you feel about the, the, the disgust trade of Russell Wilson and then uh, Pete Carroll bringing in Sam Darnold? Yeah, that's that's a weird one. That's tough. To, I mean, he's a superstar, you know. Like, well, they were expecting to get a superstar haul if they were going to trade him away. Yeah, well. which that's that's what Houston was going to try to do for Deshaun Watson. I mean, that's that stuff's crazy. We did Juju Smith Schuster could have been on the move. He's actually yep. staying in Pittsburgh now. Um, but that's definitely going to be something to watch. Some of this free agency stuff, and then with the salary cap, um, you know, it's it's they're going to do a new TV deal. I think in twenty twenty three, so they should get a lot more. Next Can't year, be. they expect the contracts to kind of explode a little bit because that the TV contract has been announced, I think, uh, you know, recently. Um, so they expect the salary cap to take a big bump, which is why guys like I think there's been 25 or 30 percent of guys that are free agents and some of the marquee guys have signed for one year contracts similar to Juju. Um, because they're betting on themselves, and if they produce this year, they expect the next contract next year to be much more valued yeah. instead mm -hmm. of taking a multi-year contract. Because Juju actually is an interesting one. Um, reportedly, he churned down more mo more money from the Eagles and more years, a multi-year deal from the Ravens to stick with the Steelers for one year. Interesting. Uh, on that note, congrats to a couple of Trojans. Uh, Leonard Williams. Getting the, the big bucks with uh, the Giants. A three-year, $63 million contract. I believe at least $40 million is guaranteed, like $43 million, something like that. So that's that's a nice chunk of change for, <laughs> yeah. for the big cat. And then Nelson Aguilar to the Patriots. Two years, $26 million. And then congrats to our buddy Zach Banner. $9.5 million, two years with the Steelers. So nice. uh, some free agency moves right there. And, uh, some, some millionaires. And uh, Deshaun Jackson's coming to the Rams. Former, He was a USC commit at one point, sure. uh, obviously with the Cal. But he'll be local again. So uh, <laughs> playing with the with the Rams. Yep. Curious to see where a couple guys end up too. Adoree Jackson. I wonder where he'll end up. That's an interesting one as well. So we'll yeah. Marquise we'll see on Lee that. was he? He was released, I believe. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So interesting for sure. Uh, Coley White 
says, if USC gets to the Final Four, will Bossman send Keely and Shotgun to Indianapolis to cover the games, or will you be focused on spring ball? Oh, uh, <laughs> probably not both. Uh, I don't even know if we could. So part of the problem was when you would do credentials early on, I mean, before, if you didn't get credentialed for, like, the, the early games, you couldn't get credentialed for the later ones, so you could you would have to go to cover the early. I don't know if that's the case, but Shotgun and I already talked about, like, yeah, if they can make it past the Sweet 16, uh, there's potential to send uh, potential. send them out there. So if we can do it, I mean, I, I don't mind. We can do that. Like, yeah, the the NCAA has been very limited on just the number of people that are allowed. You know, the their the media. Same thing in the Pac-12 tournaments. There were only a couple of, I think it was four media per team were allowed. So four beat writers basically. Um, so we were fortunate enough to to be able to cover that. The NCAA tournaments up in the air. We're going to see you know what they do tomorrow before we even really worry about you know potential of Sweet Sixteen. But yes. hoping to potentially go to Indianapolis if they make, continue to make a run. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'll, it'll kill shotgun and not cover all these high school baseball. I mean uh, college baseball games. But you know, so that's part of the reason why I want to set them. So like all these. Hey, today <laughs> I went to CSUN at 11 a.m. Then I went to UCLA. Then I went back to CSUN for the second game of a doubleheader and then came in. So you know. Yeah, that's, that's getting fine. in as many games as I can now just because I know there's so many there's high school football going on high school school basketball might start before too long high school baseball literally everything that I cover will be going on at the same time he yeah. was in the basketball presser asking infield a question you could hear the crack of the bat I was like oh shotgun that is <laughs> that's spring shotgun right there uh, we had a question from Josh on YouTube who said is Solomon Tuyalapupu or yeah am I saying that right or did they spell that wrong they spelled it they wrong. They spelled it wrong. Thank you. I was like, what is going on? Uh, going to be back by spring roll, or will he not be ready until fall? How is the linebacker depth with the new additions? So Chris Trevino has you know, been keeping up with Solomon's recovery. I think he said last week that it looks like that he will not be ready for spring, but the hope is for summer workouts that he should be back. Um, I would have to look back to check on that for sure. But I think that he's, you know, he's again, he's a guy that we're – Excited and hopeful to see, but I'm not gonna put. I'm not gonna worry about where he's at on any depth chart until I see him practice for a full week in a row. So the the linebacker depth, as far as the entirety of the group, I think is fine. Elijah Winston should be back. You know, you're adding Julian Simon to the mix, so I think they're fine there. The middle linebacker is still a little bit of a question mark, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's. I, I it'll be it'll definitely be a position to watch because you could say overall. That group sort of underperformed uh, in 2020, but Todd Orlando is the linebacker coach. I think you know he knows of what he wants to get out of that group, and whoever they can add, any more bodies. I mean, we would love to see Solomon Tuilapupu get out there and play, but like Shotgun said, doesn't look like he will be there this spring. But you know, you cross your fingers because you know he has the potential. But it's hard to talk about the guy when. Every time we talk about him, he's not he's not out there. Yeah, unfortunate in that sense. Ryan, your Periscope buddies have they said anything of note? Oh, um, so the <laughs> Didster. Like, oh wait, that's, that's, that's still happening. The Didster, not too much going on over there. Uh, talking about number eleven uh, from Santa Margarita. I think he was talking about Saint John Bosco. It's uh, DJ Ungalalele's uh, younger brother, Mateo. Mateo, who was playing tight end and then like I think defensive end or something like that and yeah he was making he had a pick six I believe in the game is I think that was him yeah this past weekend the game I saw him in yeah he had some catches um big dude out there uh his brother you know DJ was actually at the St. John Bosco game from Friday I believe so yeah he's uh 
he's one of those studs out there. You can, I mean, obviously, he's got the bloodlines, so his, his brother's is a big-time player as he is. Makes sense. Oh, and by the way, Ryan, I got a screenshot from someone who tried to get on Periscope, and it, they got an alert that it will be discontinued March 31st. So oh. your mm. uh, town crier warnings were correct. Matt, yeah. It was a, uh, it's a bummer. I don't know. Like, So basically, Periscope's tied with Twitter, um, but it is like a separate account. You subscribe, so we have like a bunch of followers on the Periscope. I don't know if that translates over to Twitter or Twitter Live or anything. So they have Twitter Spaces now, which is like kind of their, what? yeah, it's like a, a rebuttal to Clubhouse. Anyway, it's Twitter's changing some things. I expect them to have an in-house uh, video platform. Version. Yeah, and yeah. I got emails from other people that were trying to be like, we're going to be the next Periscope, but like, if you have to start again and get people to follow you again, like the Periscope thing was nice because it was just like tied to your Twitter account. Like I don't want to do anything else. Um, so yeah, but we'll be on YouTube and Facebook for sure. Hopefully on a Twitter type of platform uh, going forward. But it looks like we got one more show on Periscope. Yeah. And friendly reminder, we are saying uh, Periscope, not Peristyle. I know that's yes. something that has confused people before. Not The Peristyle is still alive and well. Talking about Periscope. I was getting text messages from so we have some you know uh, older folks that are big fans of the show. They're like, "Oh man, I'm bummed that the no the the podcast is staying. Everybody can stay. <laughs> it's just there's one of the platforms, the live Very video little, platforms, yes. that is going away. Not anything with us. The show is still around. Periscope <laughs> is a live platform. You might not be watching it or listening to that. So don't even worry about it. Yes. <laughs> if you don't know what it is, don't worry about it. that's things going away. Yeah. So people will funnel to. YouTube or Facebook or something on Twitter, hopefully we can do too. Yes. Uh, we had a question from Coley White on YouTube who says, uh, how deep is the USC field goal and extra point depth chart? Does SC already have their starter? Well, they have uh, seven scholarship kickers and five. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's still five. It's, I think still five scholarship special teams players, right? Like it's still like. Unless Michael Brown decides to leave. Um, you know, that's the only one that was kind of a question that being as a senior, Chase McGrath was transferring out. Yeah. Um, Went to Tennessee. To Tennessee, yeah. yeah. So, you know, Parker Lewis is the guy. He's going to be the guy that's going to lead the lead the way there. They expect him to be good for the next four years for him. There you go. Coley, asking about kicker depth in hey, March. He's contributing. We love it. Thank Thanks, you, Coley. Coley. Fat Bank had a question for Shotgun. Baseball players to watch. Mike Drop. I mean, if we're, we're talking Southern California, I can tell you about Denzel Clark, who I just saw. At, I only want to mention him. He, he goes to CSUN. Because today, when I got there to see CSUN, he looked like he was the ringer, the illegal player that's like three years older on a Little League team. He's 6'5", 220. He has an outfielder. The rest of their team is pretty short, um, and, and they got one chunky guy who's, who's pretty powerful. So it was like a Little League uh, you know, lineup for me. And he was just... He, he looked amazing out there for them. Um, and Brooks Lee on the other side for Cal Poly as a future first-round pick. But, no, if you want to talk USC, the players to watch, Jamal Gwynn. You know, Jason Gill, I talked to him last week. Uh, he moved him into the, the leadoff spot uh, in the lineup. He's been their three-hole hitter for most of the season. Moved him in the leadoff spot because they struggled that weekend in the Dodgertown tournament. Uh, they lost to UCLA. They didn't play very well. He wanted to switch some things up. He said it's probably not permanent, but – 
Jamal Ogwin's hit four homers in five, the last five games in that spot. So I don't know if you want to take him out of that spot. He's doing really well. Ben Ramirez is another guy in the middle of the lineup that is, you know, expected a lot from him. He had a homer the other day. They swept Washington on the road. So that's a big series win for them to get back on track after struggling a little bit two weeks ago. So back-to-back good weeks for them. They've gotten some players back. If you've been reading the War Room, told you about who's coming back there from the suspensions that they've had with some COVID issues and whatnot, COVID protocol issues. So they've gotten some pitchers back that were really important to them. So things are looking a little bit up for, for USC baseball right now. They can get a little bit better starting pitching on Saturday and Sunday. You know, they could be in a spot to, to contend in the Pac-12. We'll see what kind of, you know, how much they can contend. But, you know, it should be a team that, that could be interesting this year. Look at that. Uh, we have one final question, and then I'm going to jump to a caller. And then if you want to have any final thoughts, uh, any burning questions in the comments, be sure to do that. I'll be sure to get them before we finish. Andrew Hogue said, what's the status on Palaie Naote Ote? Still hasn't picked a school yet, I believe. I haven't. Uh... I think he's still in the portal. USC did put him on the spring 2021 roster. So if he still hasn't transferred, I believe he would still be on the roster. We're going to look into that. But uh, I don't think he's found a home yet. Yeah, Clay Helton's been really good about, hey, if someone goes in the portal, we'll let them back. I mean, when I, yeah. I, we talked about this, I guess, two weeks ago when I talked to Clay Helton about Matt Fink, and he was definitely welcome to having a guy like that, come, you know, come back in. Uh, Pellier is, a, you know, obviously a great talent at linebacker, position of need. I, I don't see an issue there. I, my guess is that you're not going to see him come back, but uh, they're keeping that, looks, looks like they're keeping that door open by just putting him on the roster. Yep. Shotty? Andrew's actual question was EA status. So I was thinking NCAA football, oh. EA sports. Oh. You know, so still I, too far away. That's the status. No, he's talking about Pally and Okay. That's what it made me think of. Oh, it's in the game. That's what it is, Shotty. <laughs> All righty, let's go to our caller. It's our buddy Dave from Iowa. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, Tunnel Vision. Dave from Iowa once again. You know, as usual, making my weekly phone call. I'm still <laughs> waiting on Ryan to, you know, give me a salary. But, um, well, <laughs> we appreciate that's, that's you. for something else. But, um, just want to say two things. One, last week, uh, shotgun about the state of Oregon running the pack. I was talking about both football and basketball because over the past two years, the state of Oregon has won the, the conference championship and basically run the conference. And then, uh, the main thing I wanted to talk about was how far behind do you think? the athletic department is at USC compared to Oregon because like doing some comparison rankings with sports without football uh, for Oregon I mean they still have men's basketball baseball softball and of course track I mean in terms of the rankings I mean USC just has men's basketball so like what, what do you think like Mike Bone or like you know the USC president needs to take the next step the next initiative to, to retake the conference, so to speak, since the late 2000s. Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Uh, Oregon women's basketball was going to probably win the championship last year, too, before yep. it got shut down. But USC played for the men's national championship in water polo today, lost to UCLA. They hit the oh. post with like three Cross seconds left. Bar, yep. Oh, wow. Rough. Yeah, lost, but it was like seven to six or something yep. like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But USC still wins a bunch of national championships. That's not been the issue. Like the, the other sports, you know, they're competing in golf. They're like they're they're up there with that. Just you want to do the revenue sports, and that's where USC's fallen short recently. Yeah, Oregon hasn't been great in basket. I mean, baseball either. Um, they're turning things around under Mark Wasikowski, who's their second year head coach that they have now. Uh, I think they're going in the right direction. They're ranked right now, but I think the same thing with USC. Jason Gill, I think, is is got the 
program going in the right direction right now. I think the entire Pac-12 is, is kind of on the up and ups right now as far as a conference in baseball. So I think that's a positive sign there. It's going to be more difficult to win in the conference, but it, the fact that there's more talent and more you know more quality play going on, I think, is, is a positive sign for the conference as a whole. In other sports, like Ryan touched on, I mean, you got the water polos. You know, USC is a little bit behind on some of the sports they normally are really, really good at, like women's volleyball and men's volleyball. They haven't been, you know, the dominant forces they've been uh, in previous years with those. So you'd like to see them take another step there. Uh, the tennis programs, you know, there's other programs that can still take a step forward. And there's been a little bit of an overhaul in the last five years or so with with head coaches, some of the long tenured, obviously water polo, Yvonne uh, Vavich, you know, being involved in the varsity blues scandal, you know, that's really a setback for them, but you see them again today being in the, in the championship. So they're recovering from that. Now some of the other sports have to recover and take a step forward after losing some long tenured coaches as well is what you'd like to see. I don't think that Oregon runs the conference in football or basketball either just because Oregon State won a back Pac-12 championship and just because Oregon won the regular season championship I think Oregon is constantly good and that's maybe the difference between Oregon just or the Oregon Ducks and because Oregon State's not in the competition at all in football either so let's take it back from the state of Oregon to just the Oregon Ducks um, I think they've been much more consistent over the last half a decade to decade, whereas USC has been a, you know, a spiking down, spiking down, spiking down, you know, Rose Bowl to five and seven. So the same thing with basketball, you know, they were on a good run, then they had a sub 500 year and they missed the tournament two years in a row. And now they're back on a positive run. And can football do the same thing? Can they be positive years after year rather than being up and down? And just to the consistency, how much that is just a branding thing? You know, I feel like Oregon is very much just loud and in your face on social media. And I guess that has to have some type of impact on fans. I mean, they, but they can back it up, too, with with good results. And like sure. Shotgun said, you're not seeing the troughs uh, just because I think they've had much better leadership at the top. So you're having, some, you know, even switching head coaches three times in what, 12 months or whatever it was, having three different head coaches in that span. You still were able to keep some kind of consistency there. And I think with USC, there was just, you know, some bad leadership for a long time and and it, you know USC still is a great brand you're gonna have some ups and you're gonna have some downs you're gonna have that crazy Rose Bowl win and then you're gonna have five and seven where I don't think you're gonna see that kind of trough when you're at Oregon the hope is now that USC has uh more experienced leadership running the athletic department you're not going to see some of those dips and you're not going to see a number 64 ranked recruiting class and all that kind of stuff so um USC is still climbing you know kind of out of that hole a little bit uh, but Oregon's the you know they've they've been the best recruiting team. They've been the team that's winning the Pac-12. They just won the Rose Bowl. USC has to get back to doing that and win the Pac-12 again. Alrighty, thanks, Dave, for the call. Uh, Andrew clarified on YouTube. He said it was uh, the linebacker, not the video game. Yeah. So thanks for that. <laughs> and it's IE. If you say it says EA, but you you write IE because that's yeah, yeah. But you can do either. Yeah, I'll, okay. I'll accept both. You'll, oh, you'll allow it. <laughs> yes, okay. I will allow it, okay. Peter Keeley. Uh, we have one last caller. It's our buddy Coley from Iowa. He's on the line now. Hello. Welcome to Tunnel Vision. Hey, Keely. As always, Shotgun Ryan, thank you for uh, taking me. My question is, uh, your rival UCLA quietly scheduled both Alabama State and North Carolina Central. Now, when USC tried to do this, there was an immediate uproar, which was justified. And uh, I think you got the Division II team, FCS team, off your schedule. 
My question is, uh, why is there no uproar from UCLA fans? I, I don't know the Pac-12 that well, obviously. And, and two, which team will be the last team standing not to schedule an FCS program, the Irish or Notre Dame? Thanks for your time. <laughs> That'd be the same, but that's okay. We get what <laughs> you're Irish saying, Coley. Thanks for that. Uh, so big difference. Um, yes, there was outrage. USC, UCLA, Notre Dame, none of them have ever played an FCS school. USC was going to play UC Davis up, up, the, up the, the, the freeway. UCLA is going to play historically black college, you know, in university. Like, that's a complete different thing. There's uh, a lot of push for that. I mean, there's historic significance to doing that. So if you're going to break the streak, that is the way you do it. So I, don't, I think that's why you're not see, hearing any kind of uproar from UCLA fans. I've got another reason. Uh, okay. The real reason is because they're so desperate for wins. They don't yeah. win ever. So they want, like, hey, we can just tack on an extra win if we beat an SCS team. So I think there's much less uproar when you're going, you know, whether it's six and six, you know, it feels like they've been six and six for seven years, even though that's not true. Um, but I feel like they're just, because they haven't had continued success and because they haven't had even the peaks that USC has had, then I, I think that that's part of the reason why there's not the uproar. They're, they may want to say, we're going to lose out to USC and you know we're not going to be in the same category as Notre Dame but they're like well we get a couple more wins though that'd be good um, so I, I think there's that's I think that's why there's less pushback there and also I think there's more pushback at USC because it was both their rivals you know w yeah. would have, you would have fallen away from both your rivals not just UCLA just USC they don't really care about Notre Dame do you know yeah. off the top of your head how many out of conference wins Chip Kelly has at UCLA zero right none yeah <laughs> not a single one so I think there's some reason for that as far as which team box first which team blinks and and schedules an FCS team I think if you had to do it it would be the way UCLA is going where uh you know it's a historically you know black college university kind of thing that would be kind of cool to play, you know, where you get the bands and everything coming out. Uh, that would be great. I, I don't think at this point, the fact that USC had to kind of reverse course and pay like almost a million dollars or whatever to, to, to get one of those games off the books. I don't think USC is doing it. We're going to turn I, around and do it, yeah. Yeah, I don't think Notre Dame is going to do it. So, I, I, yeah, I don't think either one of them for the you know, foreseeable future would be scheduling one of those games. I mean, it could be like something down the road 20 years from now or something, but who knows? It could be like something similar to pandemic this year where, you know, there's just certain cha different challenges than there normally would be. And they're like, well, we want to get a game in. So this is what's available. So we're going to do it um, versus not playing at all. Um, but uh, maybe if they want it, if they did want to end it, but they didn't want to give away, you know, the title to the other team, basically, then they should do like a not really a round robin, but have a double like header, a basically <laughs> double header, you know have Notre Dame and you could do historically black colleges or you could try to find if there's any FCS teams that have a history, you know, looking like it, you know, how USC used to play Occidental in California or something. If there's another school that's on the FCS level or Division II level that, that fits the bill to where you could play it up as this historical game, um, then maybe you do something like that. I don't know. There's some different ways they could try, probably try to handle it. They could just even do it because those teams should be easy for Notre Dame and USC to play. Just make it a true round robin. You'll play, you know, you play those teams on Saturday and then on Sunday, USC and Notre Dame will play. <laughs> <laughs> See, but even if it was a double header, USC fans and Notre Dame fans are so petty that whoever plays first would be like, well, you ended it first. So you never know.
<laughs> you know, funniness. You'd have to kick off the exact same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Hey, speaking of UCLA and at a conference, they're going to play L- LSU in 2021. I thought that was an interesting little wrinkle. I mean, they played some really good teams, which is part of the reason why Chip Kelly doesn't have any wins. But they've also, you know, they should be able to beat Cincinnati. And mm-hmm. they haven't beaten them in, in two tries. So, um you know, there, there's teams that they should have beaten, but there's also some really intriguing games on there. And that's that goes back to Ryan's, you know, discussion about the Pac-12 as a whole. You got to win those games. You yeah. know, that's how, you know, if you beat Cincinnati and now Cincinnati two years later becomes, you know, under Luke Fickle becomes a legit team because when they played them, they weren't, then, you know, that stands out a little bit more. You know, the games against, you know, Washington, Michigan, the Ohio State, Oregon games, those were really important. But also, you know, when Stanford plays Duke or, you know, whoever they play, or Stanford plays Northwestern, like those are the type of games where you need a win so your conference, you know, isn't pushed down by, you know, your mid- middle-tier teams losing as well. Mm-hmm. And, Ryan, going back to Oregon real quick, just yeah. real quick, they went 4-8 and eight under Helfrich, 7-6 and six under Taggart, and then started on this upswing back with Cristobal. So they, they had their valley as well. See, it's- that's why I'm saying branding. Because no one thinks of that. But no they, they were coming that. off a national championship appearance, though, like the, sure. before that, too. So that, it, it helped that they were – that the high was a little bit higher. The peak was a little higher. Sure, sure. Interesting. Uh, the final question comes from Bobby on Facebook, and he says, Can Shadi support a ponytail? This is a topic Shaka <laughs> and I talk about before instant analysis every time. So My hair is, is ridiculously out of control, but um, – not going to <laughs> Keep get telling cut you. until just get a hair tie. No, tie it. definitely not happening. It's, you have long hair. It's nice. No, <laughs> you're not going to entertain the the ponytail. Or no, not entertain side pony. Out of, <laughs> no. Side pony. <laughs> out of all the if things do, where you draw the line, ponytail is the one. If I was going to do anything, I'd get braids again. I'm I'm not going with again? ponytail. <laughs> yeah, I used to get braids multiple times. Well, in high school. I, if you have a ponytail and you're a dude, you kind of need the. The, the snapback caps, right? That you could have like a little space back True. there, so it would come out. Shoddy only no. wears the seven and three eighths <laughs> fitted caps, and he wears them backwards. So there's no place to put the ponytail. I know that your your hat usage was a topic on Facebook, and I was like, "Have you watched the show before? <laughs> it is the thing." Uh, but yes, that's gonna wrap it's it like, up. Why is he wearing a tie and his hat backwards? Like, okay. Have you met Shaka? <laughs> it's so interesting. People get so upset about one accessory versus another. When and, and I found it interesting because when I cover baseball and the coaches know me so well and because a tie is really out of left field at a baseball field, but this is my normal attire for anything I cover, um, any games that I cover. So they'll be like, why are you wearing a tie? Whereas other people are like, why is you wearing a hat? <laughs> baseball coaches are like, they look at the tie more as the thing that's way out of place. So. Yeah. I just like to keep people on their toes. It's a little yin-yang kind of thing. Yeah, you know, like, I like it. Balance. A little balance. Yeah. Whatever works. All righty. That's going to wrap it up. Ryan, glad to have you back for tonight's it's good to episode. Be back. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday. We'll have Pro Day to talk about and previewing USC's spring camp starting next week. How exciting is that? Uh, some football is back. All righty. That's going to wrap it up. That's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see you all next week. Bye. See ya.